Welcome to Disrupt Disruption, a series of intimate interviews with global thought leaders and practitioners operating at the intersection of business, leadership and technology. We're discussing all things innovation and disruption and how to not only survive but thrive in these times of exponentially accelerating change. Trusted by CEOs, founders and leaders globally for the latest take on business models, methods, culture and leadership, we cut to the chase, debunk the hype and get real. You're in great company. I'm your host, Pascal Finette, co-founder of Be Radical. Hey everybody, Pascal here. Time for another episode of Disrupt Disruption. Today, I'm super excited to have a dear friend of mine, Marcus Anderson, with us. Marcus is the founder and director of the World Education Foundation, or the WE Foundation. We'll talk a little bit more about what that is. He is currently pursuing a PhD in cyborg anthropology, where he focuses on the interconnection and relationship between technology and humans. And he works at the nexus of indigenous wisdom, modern technology and future societies. And he has a longer history in the American football, uh, National Football League as a safety there. But that's not what we're talking about, Marcus. We're talking about cyborg anthropology and innovation and disruption. It's so great to have you here. So great to be here. Yeah, it's just really good to, you know, be a part of what you're doing. I mean, I think it's so necessary. And it's been a while since we actually saw each other before we saw each other in Chicago, but we actually met in 2017 at the Global Solutions Program at Singularity University. So it's good to just be with you and just see the work that you're doing. So happy to be here. Thank you so much. And let me take cyborg anthropology. I know what a cyborg is. And I know what anthropology is. What is the combination of this? Indeed, I, I get that a lot. So to simplify it, and I know it sounds kind of abstract, but cyborg anthropology is really just studying the interconnections between humans and technology. But it's taking a quantum physics approach where scientists, quantum physicists like Niels Bohr or Erwin Schrodinger and other giants of the early of 20th century They found that tiny objects such as electrons can be in two states at once, right? And behave as particles in one moment, and as we observe this, be a wave in the next. And depending how the observer ties to measure it will determine what that is. And so what cyborg anthropology does is create a discourse to really break down the boundaries between animated and inanimated objects. So as to say, we, as we are actually creating technology, technology is also creating us. One other framing that I would like to mention, um, and I think it's the human relationship towards technology that really what we focus on, and it's the societal changes as technology is emerging into society. What are those changes? How does it change us as individuals? How does it change us as a community? And there's always been technology, right? Fire is technology, shoes are technology. Our relationship to that technology is changing over time. And so giants like Donna Haraway, who wrote the first book in 1984, called A Cyborg Manifesto. And this was like kind of the firstly widely read academic text to explore the philosophical as well as the sociological ramifications of the cyborg. And so as we go down this path of cyborg anthropology, we're really just studying how technology is having an impact on individuals as well as society. Marcus, one thing I hear a lot clearly when you talk about cyborgs, robots, machines, AI, there's a 
strongly hold belief in certain parts of the society that this is bad for humanity. You know, it, it eats our jobs. It will make us second-class citizens. Curious, how do you approach this? What is your perspective here? Technology is agnostic, right? It's a tool. And we've always had these tools at our disposal. In indigenous practices, we've always leaned upon different types of technologies that supply an advancement to the human species, right, to help us. I think from the first fire that was actually built or the first wall that went up to secure us from the elements, these technologies or different types of ancient aqueducts in civilizations throughout Egypt and even using sacred geometry to build pyramids and different types of rituals that have been allocated over time, we've always had a relationship with technology. And so as we move into this kind of uber-technological world or technocentric world, it's really about an upgrade of the operating system of the human, right? And that as a collective, we need to start to think about innovation and how we relate to this planet, to ourselves and to our communities in a different way. The technology is always going to be there, whether it be a tool for, for good or a tool for bad. That's really how humanity actually uh, decides to use that tool. So I would say that I'm optimistic that technology is a need, but I also think in coherence with that and in conjunction with that, the human also needs to have an upgrade, upgrade our operating system, so to say. If we zoom in and look at, say, you're a leader in an organization, for example, um, how do you advise them to think about this upgrade of the operating system? Because it feels to me that that very same question comes up for organizations as well as they're moving into this new world. Everything changes much faster. Everything becomes digitized, smarter, etc. The human seems to be often the, the, the kind of like the focal point here where we hear this a lot with culture. You know, it's like mm -hmm. typically it's that like culture is the code word always. Like, oh, we need to get an innovation culture, a disruption culture. How do you think about this and how do you approach it? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's the primary forces of disruption we can actually look at, right? Whether they be technology, globalization, demographics, policy, or even the environment itself, you know, these are the drivers of evolution. So each of them hold a significant opportunity to spark human ingenuity, really giving that space to repurpose, to really reorganize and innovate in new ways that create a better world. And so if I'm a company, I have to look at what is driving my core business, but also where do I see myself in the future? And the way that I kind of approach this for businesses is that I ask them, the first question that I ask them is, what type of ancestor do you want to be? And I ask mm -hmm. them this as a provocation to think internally, but also to think about their processes and their micro decisions that they make on an everyday basis on how they would actually get to a legacy that they would be proud of actually leaving. So when we rethink who and how our board seats are occupied, right? What are the core values of the CEOs and leadership? What technologies are we integrating into our decision workflows? And are they truly holistic enough to de-risk the future and really create long-lasting equity as well as sustainability? And I think that would ensure even greater returns on investment, but then also making sure that we are developing and innovating in an ethical way that is not harming the individual, the company, and then the integrity of, of what the product or service is, 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 is given into society. I love your point about this ancestral like view of the world. Um, 
curious, have you, maybe you're lucky enough to only work with enlightened organizations, but are you getting pushback on this and saying, well, you know, like, but I've got a quarter to make, you know, I've got like shareholder value to fulfill. Mm-hmm. Seeing that? Yeah, you seeing that? Not intrinsically, but ultimately the disconnect between the quarterly earnings of a capitalist society and the reliance of the longevity of the indigenous wisdom and the indigenous practices, it's hard for them to marry those two because I guess the diverse voices aren't at the table during those decisions, mm-hmm. right? So if we look at the innovation process as a linear approach that there's only one way forward, then we would get caught in the quarterly earnings, right? We have to hit Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. But if you have your core business and then underneath that, you start to have this innovation package that in forms your core business, but also gives it the resiliency to change over time, whether that be quickly with a long or, or with a long tail, then you can start to integrate some of those indigenous practices into your core business. So I think it's just a framing about what is actually capable when it comes to integrating these more acute type of indigenous practices into the long term. Now, Let me frame this. There's a a paper that I really like to lean up on, and it's research and workshops led by a professor by the name of Jason Edward Lewis. And he had a great team in Hawaii, which conducted workshops that generated a position paper called Indigenous Protocol and Artificial Intelligence. And what he does is it, it develops new conceptual and practical approaches to integrating indigenous wisdom and building the next generation of, say, AI systems, right, and technological systems. And during their approach, they approach questions such as, what should our relationship with AI be from an indigenous perspective? How can indigenous epistemology and ontologies really contribute to the global conversation regarding society and AI? And then, you know, how do we broaden discussions regarding the role of technology and society beyond the kind of largely cultural or homogenous research labs in Silicon Valley and this startup culture? And so, you know, through this and what he found is that a lot of these indigenous practitioners, what they would do is, is that they would consider the same way that they would approach an AI system would be the same way that they would, say, build a sweat lodge. So what are those considerations that they would that they would go through? What is that checklist and that protocol that they would go through in order to create a ritualistic type of event rather than also creating a system type of event. And so through that practice, indigenous wisdom integrated in those decision makers, for one, have a diverse voice at the table. But for two, you are thinking about not only what is right now, but you're looking at the seven generations before and you're looking at generations in the future around those decisions that you make right now. And that can ultimately, you know, create less rethink, redo of the of the original process, and then also integrate larger investments in, into the long run. That is so curious. If you're a leader, you're listening to this podcast right now and you say, Marcus, that sounds amazing. How do I get started? What would you, how would you approach this? Mm-hmm. So one of the things at the start of, let's say, uh, you know, COVID or the pandemic, what me and and an ex-business partner of I did, we started to ideate over what could actually be done in this space. And what we came up with was a full-service laboratory and studio called ism.earth. 
And the reason why we called it ism.earth is because there's a lot of isms that we're dealing with. Like with these changing transitions and the complexity and the change that we're dealing with, a lot of isms are starting to really surface, whether it be racism, capitalism, patriarchism, all of these different isms are starting to come to the forefront. And what we thought that we could do is actually have a collective reimagining suite where existing models, and we question those existing models and their impact on the world. And this is through workshops, collabs, as well as incubators. And the core function of what we do is a simple framework called leave, breathe, grow, flow, and ground. And so if you're a leader, what we want to start off with is what do we need to leave behind, right? What do we actually take with us and what do we leave behind? And how do we actually take a new type of value statement forward to breathe in a new way of being? And this is a hypothesis of change. You know, this could be creating new uh, new values, a new leadership team. And so we breathe in these new ways forward. And then three is what we do is we develop a strategy where we can grow. Right. And identify the technologies that we have access to different methods, strategies really to move forward. And we grow into that and we create this flow where it's starting to create new MVPs and new systems and new ways forward where we're really starting to kind of get into that flow state. And then the last thing we like to do is ground that internally, where if I'm a leadership in my company, I want to see the individuals and the employees and the executive suite start to take on some of these manifestations and these changes. And what you see over time is that these organizations start to become change agents for other companies in their industry. And so leave, breathe, grow, flow, and ground really helps individuals to identify where they're at, right, at the moment, where they want to be, and how do they get there to make that change. That's beautiful. Let me take a step into a slightly different direction. Uh, and you just mentioned the role of the individual and our ability to change by adopting you know, these frameworks. Curious to hear your thoughts on, and we talked in the intro a little bit about the, the world into which we are moving and we're probably already part of. How as an individual do I prepare myself? What is, the, what is your advice for me as an individual to upgrade my operating system, to use the words you used in the beginning? For one, I think it's about really evaluating the self. Where do you want to be? Taking mental note um, about your desires. What are you passionate about? Sometimes it's not about kind of this linear path, which we're used to, where, you know, you go to elementary, you go to middle school, high school, college, and then you find a job or even go back and get a master's degree. It's really about thinking about how do I become a learner? right? A lifelong learner. Because what I know now may not be the same thing that I need to know in the future. But one thing that I can hold on to is the process of learning, right? If I even need to learn a new language or a new system, I have the processes in order to create uh, a solution out of whatever problem I'm faced with. And so that preparation, I think we're talking about the future of work. And especially in knowledge-based economies, it hinges on the ability to break work previously done by one person into more specialized pieces done by several people. And 
And I see that there's a distributed network that is starting to be created, whether it be on the blockchain or even just through having the ability to Zoom and call and discuss and have discussions over space and time where we didn't have that capability before. And now we're able to actually have a very high level, high valued project be developed by people anywhere in the world, right? And so knowing and being diverse in culture and understanding that there's pieces of the project that might be outsourced or distributed, and that that separation often leads to improvements in quality, speed, as well as cost. So if I'm an individual and I'm looking to the future, I really want to hone in on my skills on how to learn, what are those processes of learning, and how do I actually create a opportunity for myself to be valuable in a lot of different markets, not just the market that I'm in. And then if you were to take the role or the lens of a leader looking at this, say, I'm the CEO of a company, I'm the founder of a company, I'm thinking about my people listening to you now, what would be the advice for me, not from my own learning, but the the organizational learning, the organizational like preparedness for my people to like upgrade, collectively upgrade our operating system? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I think for our companies, it really has driven us to rethink what is important? Where does collaboration meet community? Where our societies and governments and private sectors are rewriting these antiquated kind of social contract? We're living in a time where there's exceptionally more questions than answers. So if I'm a leader, I'm really trying to look at What is the uncertainty that I'm trying to tackle? And where is the opportunity for creative innovation, right? Yeah. So we focus on redesigning the corporate culture, I think is really, really important because I think sometimes leaders understand what works in a very short period of time. And so if it works once, we try to cookie cut it and actually see that it would work again and again and again. But the thing about our society now is that it's very complex and a lot of these systems are out of our hands for what changes. No one knew that a pandemic was coming. Very few people knew that we are going through an economic crisis, right, at the moment, or say just reconfiguration, right? No one knows about wars or, or individuals that want to create additional complexity on top of the systems that we have. So As we refocus, as if I'm a leader of a company, I would really like to focus on redesigning that corporate culture to embrace change, transformation, as well as complexity, to really create more successful innovation practices. And I think diving into the role and importance of language is and behaviors and beliefs in shaping our worldview is so important for a corporate uh, corporation because it helps us to reimagine that when we are hit with this complexity, how do we actually integrate resiliency into those processes? And if we can become resilient, then ultimately whatever hits us, we might be slowed down, but we won't fold, right? And that would uh, ultimately lead to long-term success if I'm a leader. If you were to look a little bit into the future, and you alluded to this already in terms of the world we're moving in, driven by technology, the operating system upgrade we need as individuals. Do you see this world as a world where we see a gradual, a, a piling on of change? And essentially it's a kind of like a, there's a, a pathway, a flight pathway. Or do you believe we're we are up for like some very disruptive change? As probably you mentioned this already, COVID-19, of course, was very disruptive. 
are we in for more of those disruptive changes from your perspective? And if so, regardless of which scenario, how do we best prepare ourselves for that? There's always going to be change and there's always going to be complexity. That's with any living organism, right? And as we are here on the planet, we are part of a living organism and we all as individuals are living organisms. For for me, the way that I look at it is to really identify where those symbiotic relationships are and how do we actually create those symbiotic relationships to create new systems that can help evolve with the change in complexity. So change and complexity are opportunities for transformation at the heart of the individual, as well as the business and society. So <clears throat> Understanding the values that we collectively hold will be something that really will determine if humans make it or if we don't, right? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing in the DNA of humans that say we have to be here, right? So I look at it as an opportunity for us to integrate our ingenuity and our expansionness and our visions into creating a better world. Because if we look at technology, this earth itself is 4.5 billion years of iteration over time to create these complex relationships that even host the ability for us to be here. And so by understanding that what we do has an impact on this larger ecosystem and this larger earth as we see it, then ultimately what we can do is start to reverse engineer that and see where those diverse voices and expanding our perspective can actually create these robust ways of understanding uh, what is needed in the future. So interesting. You look a lot into these ideas around the concepts around the insights around indigenous wisdom, which I really like. Mm -hmm. On the surface of it, it might feel like there's a little bit of a um, paradoxical situation because indigenous wisdom feels like it's based on very long time frames, deep understanding of our place in the world, nature, how things work. Yet we're moving into a world where the new thing is always around the corner. It's like moving so fast. How do you how do you reconcile those two worlds? The like the long-term view of indigenous wisdom and the craziness of whatever is trending on Twitter tomorrow. So one of the things that, that I've leaned on when it comes to indigenous wisdom is the hierarchy of needs, right? The, the, the route to self-actualization. And Maslow, he actually spent time with the Blackfeet Nation in order to get his pyramid of self-actualization and hierarchy of needs. But what he did was he extrapolated it to really be concerned about the individual, right? I need food. I need water. I need shelter. I need security, so on and so forth. But the way indigenous practitioners looked at it is that they looked at it as the relationship to themselves. They looked at it through the relationship that they had to their community, and they looked at it through the relationship that they had to the earth. So if we were to look at what self-actualization is and what it means to feel like we are living our purpose and doing the things that we need to do, we can't find that self on an island individually within ourselves. We have to start looking at it through the relationships that we create because I'm not going to have all the answers. I might have to come to you and say, hey, Pascal, how do we actually solve this problem together? Right. And we've created a relationship through our shared knowledge, which expands our 
collective knowledge, which allows us to make better decisions in the here and now. So if I'm a company, I would not be afraid of collaboration. I know we have a lot of IP and all these different types of things, but there's certain people that we should collaborate with in order to create new ways forward, spark new ideas, look at things from different angles that will allow us to make the best decisions. And so when you want to incorporate this more indigenous aspect into this more modern aspect of of Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, really think about who do you have at the conceptual aspect of your business or the core of your product or service, and then expand from there. Marcus, that is a beautiful summarization of how we as leaders should actually show up in the world. I could honestly go on and on and on about talking about cyborg anthropology of the world we're moving into. For those of us who are interested and curious about your work, How can we best follow you and support you? Indeed. Yeah. Ism.Earth uh, is a great way to kind of understand how we approach innovation, what type of transformation and what type of frameworks we have. So you can visit Ism.Earth. You can follow me at, at on Twitter at Ancestral Cyborg. And there, there's some interesting work that we're going to uh, be doing. So you can follow me also at MarcusAnderson.com. Uh, and I'll be having some updates about some of the interesting work that we're that we're doing and getting into. Wonderful. We'll make sure that we have those links in the show notes. So for those of you who want to follow uh, Marcus's and his incredible work, we'll have the, sh the notes in the show note. Marcus, thank you so much. This was truly eye-opening conversation. I loved it because it was so different. Mm -hmm. And I believe we need more different. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And thank you, Pascal. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Pascal. Thanks for tuning in on this episode of Disrupt Disruption. If you want more, check out the other episodes we have on this podcast. And if you liked it, do us a favor. Go on your podcasting platform of choice, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is, and leave a quick review. It helps tremendously with getting the insights from our guests out into the world. If you have any questions, send me an email. You can reach me at pascal at finet.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will hear you here soon.